sons than women. Who would agree with that statement? Men, all the men are putting their hands up. Men are easier to understand than women. But do they always mean what they say? When a man says to his wife, it will take too long to explain, what he actually means is, I have no idea how this works. When a man says, take a break, dear, you are working too hard, he means, I can't hear the TV over the hoover. When a man says, that's interesting, dear, he means, are you still talking? When a man says it's a man thing, he means there is no rational thought pattern connected with this and you have no chance at all of making it logical. When he says, can I help with dinner, he means, why isn't it ready yet? When he says, uh, yes, yeah, sure, or yes, dear, it means absolutely nothing. It's just a conditional response. When a man says, you know how bad my memory is, he means... I know exactly who won the FA Cup in 1975, what my first LP was, the words to the B-side, and the license plate of my first car, but yes, I forgot your birthday. <laughs> when a man says, oh, don't fuss, I just cut myself, it's no big deal, he means I have probably severed a limb and I will bleed to death before I admit that I am hurt, so please just come here and help. When a man says I can't find it, he means it didn't fall into my outstretched arms, so I, I am completely clueless as to where to look. When a man says, I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are, he means no one will ever see us alive again. <laughs> that might sound like a, a, a bit daft, but what I want to look at today is the fact that what we say and what we do will always have an impact on those around us. Again, when we come to a message like this, sometimes it's easy maybe for those who are not dads to just simply switch off, for um, people who've not had a good relationship with their dads to switch off. But this doesn't just relate to dads. It happens to be about two dads, but it's not just relating to dads. We understand the importance that we have um, to be an influence on our children, to be a positive influence on our children. If we're not doing that, then we're not walking in accordance with God's will. Uh, because God's will is for us to train up a child in the way that they, should, that they are to go. Uh, God's will is that we are to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So if we as dads are not godly examples, then one day we'll have to answer for that before the Lord. So just because we're talking about two dads, I don't want those, like I said, who have... Um, who, who, who are not fathers themselves or who have not had um, a, a, a good experience with, uh, with, with a parental figure to switch off. Because this still relates to us. Genesis chapter 13. I want to look at the account of two dads and the contrast of the decisions that they made and the impact that that had on their family. In Genesis chapter 13, uh, we see Abraham and Lot come up out of Egypt. Um, Abraham was very rich in, in cattle, in silver and gold. Um, they came to Bethel. Uh, they uh, made a, a, a sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, and then Lot was with Abraham. And Lot, uh, it says in verse 5, Lot also which went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents, 
and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt in the land. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered every way before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zohar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from another. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Father, we thank you again for this day for this time together and for this opportunity to come around your word, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to recognize and realize the importance that each and every one of us has uh, by the way in which we live our lives, as that will always have an impact on those that watch us. They will have, a, have an impact on those feet that come behind us. So, Father, I just pray that you would enable us to have a positive impact, uh, a spiritual impact on every sphere of influence that we have in our daily and weekly walk with you. So Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to our hearts today again. I pray that you'd comfort those that have suffered loss this year. I pray that you would just um, bless those uh, that struggle at home. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and convict us uh, that we might be the, 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 the child of God that we need to be in this day and age in which we live. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we understand that Abraham and Lot were both saved men. Uh, and the way in which they conducted their lives, the way in which they raised their families, and the way in which they saw the results of that are in stark contrast. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. What I want to look at today is walking by faith or sight the tale of two dads, because one walked by sight and the other one walked by faith. And this will lead us to ask several questions. First of all, we ask the question, where are we looking? Um, can I say this, that Lot looked by sight. He saw um, what Sodom was like. He saw the plains and he was only looking through um, if you like, the eyes of sight, not the eyes of faith. He lived by sight. He made his decision based upon what his eyes told him. He claimed that land, and he looked for the best land. What's best for me? Regardless of what Abraham has done for him, regardless of where Abraham has brought him from, regardless of how Abraham has blessed him, Lot still says, what's best for me? What can I get out of this? And, and you look at the graciousness of Abraham and say, look, if, if you decide to go to the right, I'll go to the left, or vice versa. But, you know, you make that choice. You know, as the younger one, Lot should have turned around and said, well, no, that's, that's not for me to do. I'm going to respect whatever you do, and I'll go to the, the, the opposite side. But Lot just lived by sight. What can I see? He didn't consult with the Lord. He didn't say, right, Lord, what, what decision should I make here? You know, we do that so many times. We live by sight, by what we can see. We, we kind of forget 
the eyes of faith. We, we forget to consult the Lord. We only, uh, if we want to make a decision, we only see, you know, the immediacy of how this can help me, benefit me, bless me, rather than what does the Lord want me to do? Is this the direction the Lord wants me to go in? Lot looked to Sodom, and Lot saw what pleased him, and that's what he chose. He simply satisfied the flesh. We live in a day and age where the whole world simply wants you to, uh, to be satisfied. And, you know, the, the devil wants nothing more than for our flesh to be satisfied. He doesn't want us to live by faith. He just wants to, us to live by sight. Lot did exactly what Eve did in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was, was good, she saw with her eyes it was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and the, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband. What happened? Where we look is where we lead. Wherever our eyes are focused, that is where we... Let me ask you this question. Have you ever walked with somebody... Ever, ever walked side by side with somebody, gone for a walk with somebody? Nobody's ever... ever anybody, does anybody know to walk? You ever walk down the road with somebody and you've got that person that is looking everywhere, looking around and maybe enjoying the scenery, but what happens then? Because they're not looking where they're going. I go for a walk with Joe, and she's a nightmare. Not only because she's clumsy, but because she, she trips everywhere, and then it freaks me out because of her back, and I'm like, oh, no, no, are you okay? But she's like, it's like walking with a pinball machine. Because she's looking around, and I'm walking in a nice straight line. I am. I tell you now I am. <laughs> I'm walking in a straight line, but because she's looking everywhere... She's like that, so she bumps into me. And then I'm like, really? And then I get in my, I get in my path again, I walk my nice straight line, and then she bumps into me. But the funny thing is, Eve does exactly the same thing. So when you're walking behind the two of them, they're just bouncing off one another. Why? Because they walk where they look. Because, Sodom, because Lot looked towards Sodom, then he leant towards Sodom, and then he lived like Sodom. Where we look is where we lead, is where we will live. Lot looked by sight. He just looked with his eyes. He didn't look with the eyes of faith. He didn't consult the Lord. He just saw what he fancied. He saw that it was good, and he just wanted that. But what's interesting is that in verse 10, remember now they've come from Egypt. They went from Ur of the Chaldees um, up to Haran, and then they came from Haran into Canaan, and then from Canaan uh, they went down to Egypt. And it says uh, in verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Lot must have fallen in love with that country and chose what he did because it reminded him of Egypt. We need to be careful if we have uh, still an attachment or a love for the world, our eyes are always going to be drawn back. And here's the thing. You cannot move forward when you are looking backwards. Lot 
saw what he saw. It reminded him of Egypt, and it is a dangerous thing to live to fulfill the appetites of the lust and the flesh. Anytime we cease to walk by faith in the Lord and to go our own path, we're walking by sight. When we fail to rely upon the Lord, we're walking by sight. When we do things in our own strength, we're walking by sight. When we do things to just satisfy ourselves, we're walking by sight. Lot's choice demonstrated a total lack of regard for the needs of Abraham. Evidently didn't respect him, didn't care for him, didn't love him at all. Lot simply lived to please himself. My needs, my wants, my life, my way. That's not a life that's pleasing to the Lord. You live your life like that, it's never going to end well because it just makes somebody bitter constantly because they're never going to be satisfied. Lot left the life of a pilgrim behind and settled down among the sinners of Sodom. And that's where he raised his family. But that's where he also lost his family. He was a just man. 2 Peter 2.7 2 Peter 2, says, and um, he delivered just Lot. That doesn't mean he, he only delivered Lot. It means he delivered just Lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. What a way for a believer to live. The Bible says the lot was just, that he was a righteous man, but as a righteous man living in a sinful city, his uh, soul was uh, vexed day to day with the unlawful deeds that he was surrounded by. Sadly, Lot's way of reacting to trouble is the way chosen by most people today. When Lot came to a decision to make, he chose to live by sight and not by faith, and chose a, a direction that best, well, that he thought best suited him. But he chose the wrong path because he chose it with the wrong attitude, and that choice cost him dearly. Abraham, however, looked by faith. And he looked where God told him to look. In verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be Numbered, arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is a Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Isn't it incredible that Lot looked by sight, saw what looked good, and claimed it? But God had so much more in store if he'd simply looked by faith. Lot had a small patch of land. But God said, Abraham, all of this is yours. You know, we compromise as believers and we get a small-term gain. The pleasure of sin is just for a season. We get a small-term gain 
and we look and we see Sodom, we see that the grass is well watered, we see that it's pleasant to the eyes, and we grab a hold of it, and the Lord says in heaven, look, I've got all of this in store for you. Why do you want to waste it on that when you can have all of this? You might think that Abraham got the raw deal, but he got the best deal. Lot saw the world. Abraham saw the promised land. Lot looked in self-sufficiency. Abraham looked in perfect trust of the Lord. Lot looked with a heart driven by greed and lust. Abraham looked with a heart simply wanting to please the Lord out of sacrificial love and unity. Lot looked to eyes connected to a worldly, uncommitted heart. Abraham looked to eyes that were committed and connected and spiritual in nature to his God. Lot may have taken the best of the land, but Abraham got the rest of the land. Those who walk with their faith in God and their heart centered in his will will never fear of losing anything. Because truthfully, what can this world offer us that is better than what the Lord can offer us? God's promise came to Abraham after he was separated from Lot. Can I say this? Sometimes in order for the Lord to bless us, there might need to come a separation because maybe we're with the wrong crowd. Maybe we're with the wrong people. Maybe we're in the wrong place. And the Lord said, I can't bless you because of where you are. But as soon as Abraham and Lot separated, the Lord said, right, Abraham, here is what I've got in store for you. Sometimes there are so many distractions in our lives that God can't seem to break through because we don't listen to that still small voice. Separation from people is never easy. But if we ever want the Lord to bless us, and sometimes there has to be a separation. You know, we quote that verse, um, you know, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And we often use that uh, as, a, as a frame of reference, but don't go dating people who are not saved. And that is good advice. Um, and that would be the advice that I would give anybody. Um, if you're going to start a long-term relationship, you want that person to be on the same page as you. But we surround ourselves sometimes and unequally yoke with people. Do they draw us closer to the Lord? Or do they drive us further away from the Lord? God can and does bless a separated life. You know, God merely amplified the promises that he'd already made to Abraham. You know, he said that he was going to bless Abraham. In Genesis 12, he said, I will make of thee of a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. He said, and the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So God had already made those promises to Abraham. But he couldn't claim those promises until he and Lot had separated. It was only when they separated that the Lord said, Right, now look at the land. Look at what I've got in store for you. You know, sometimes we feel like we, we need what the world has to offer, and we need to get more and more and more, and that's what's going to make us happy, and that's what we're driven towards. 
But the Lord says, I've got so much more in store for you. Better stuff in store for you. But we put so much time and effort into gaining the things of this world. And if we put that much time and effort into our walk with the Lord, what difference would that make? What things do we need to separate from? Maybe it's not just people. Maybe it's habits. Maybe there's a habit we need to separate from. Maybe there's a sin we need to separate from. Maybe there's a crowd we need to separate from. Maybe the Lord is not able to speak to us clearly enough because there's too much white noise. Yeah, any, people said you struggle with white noise when there's like, I know sometimes we go into a room and then people are talking uh, and sometimes that talking is like, it's hard to pick up on what people are saying. And that's like the, the world wants to crowd out that still small voice of the Lord. And sometimes we just need to separate ourselves. That's what the, the Lord said. He said, come apart. Step aside. Separate yourselves and spend that time with the Lord. The walk of faith is a walk of progressive revelation. As we walk in obedience uh, to what he has already revealed, then he's just able to speak to us more and more and more. But how can we expect the Lord to speak to us if we're not listening to what he says in the first place? Like if we know what the Bible says for us to do and we don't do it, how then can we expect the Lord to speak to us more and more and more when we're not doing what he's told us to do in the first place? That's how the Lord works. Line upon line. Precept upon precept, Isaiah 28 says. That's how his word works. Thy, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We want to know it all up front, don't we? We want it all. Lord, what is your plan for my life from the beginning to the end? I want it all uh, laid out in black and white so I can completely understand it and then I'll never have to worry. But that's not walking by faith. That's walking by sight. When you walk by faith, you do what the Lord has told you to, told you to do initially, not knowing what the next instruction is. But knowing by faith, he'll give it to you when you get there. I have yet many things to say unto you but you cannot hear them now, the Lord said. Why? Because we're not in a position, because we've not done the basic things right first. We've not been obedient in the small things first. Because we're still looking by sight. So where are you looking? Where are you living? Lot lived in Sodom. In uh, in Genesis 19 and verse 1, it says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Lot lived by sight. He lifted up his eyes. He saw Sodom. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. He didn't immediately move into the city. It was, a, it was a slow process, just step by step by step. He lifted up his eyes. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. One preacher put it like this. He said, once our direction is set, 
Our destination is also determined, but it is now only a matter of time. Some decisions may not seem very significant, but they set a particular course for our lives. The decision may not seem very important, but its final outcome can be terrifying and tragic. What was, Sodom hope, what was Lot hoping? Was he hoping that he could kind of live on the outskirts of Sodom and you know, be in a, a well-watered place but not be influenced by the wickedness of the city? My parents used to say all the time, if you play with fire, you are going to get burnt. But Christians today seem comfortable to play with fire and then they get all bent out of shape with God when they end up getting burnt. You know, I've said this before, if my, if my grandparents were alive today, I think they would be mortified with the, with the way in which the world has become. You know, and these were people who kind of were born just around about the time of the First World War and went through the Second World War themselves, and I think they would be mortified with the way in which this world looks. But when you're in it, you don't notice it. It's like a frog. If you throw a frog in boiling water, he's going to jump out straight away because it's like, hmm, that's hot. But you put a frog in water and then just heat up the water slowly, he gets acclimatized as the, the, the water warms up and he acclimatizes and acclimatizes and then he gets boiled to death. But that's what happens when you mess around with sin. That's what happens when we pitch our tent towards Sodom. You can't dabble in the world and still play at being a Christian and expect to get away with it. What looks good from a distance wasn't that great close-up. Lot may have looked by sight and said, oh, that place looks awesome. But we know that when he finally got there and he ended up living there, his righteous soul was vexed. But he'd made his bed. To be sitting in the gate of Sodom suggests that Lot wasn't just living in the city, he was a leader in the city. Because to sit in the gate meant that he had a high ranking position within the city, because at the gate, many decisions were made. At the gate, many judgments were made. Lot, to be a, a, at the gate of the city in a sinful city like Sodom, even though his soul was vexed, means that the inhabitants accepted him. Though he was a righteous man, his spiritual decline kept him from being a champion of righteousness. You don't find a lot in Hebrews chapter 11. That reveals a gradual process of Lot's decline. It's one step at a time. You know, it's like the prodigal son. It takes one step to one dad's inheritance. It takes another step to head off into the far country. It takes another step to spend the money on riotous living. It takes another step to be in the pigsty. Just little steps. But before you know it, you're miles away from where you're meant to be. You know, if you... Well, says, I, I'm useless at reading the compass. We, we did this once where we tried to follow like an ordnance survey map and do a walk and useless got hopelessly lost. But if you read a compass and you are like one degree off your path, over a hundred yards, that one degree is not going to make a blind bit of difference. 
over a hundred miles, that one degree is going to make a massive difference from where your intended destination was to where your actual destination ended up being. Lot lived by sight, lived in Sodom. Abraham continued to live by faith, living in the land where God had promised him. When the Lord spoke, Abraham arose. His action was immediate. The Lord said to him, look, all of this land which thou seest in verse, 13 of, uh, verse 15 of chapter 13, all this land which thou seest, will I give it to you and thy seed forever. I'll make thy seed as the dust I see. Arise, walk. It says in verse 18, then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt. He went. As soon as God said, look, this is what I want to do. Arise and go. Abraham just arose and went. Abraham responded immediately, but Hebrews 11 gives us an insight because it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelled in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham wasn't living by sight. He was living by faith. He recognized that this patch of land, as good or as bad as it was, wasn't his final destination. He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He didn't just live and look by faith. By, by, by sight, he lived and looked by faith, recognizing that God had a far better place promised for him in glory. He's an example that we should follow. We are just pilgrims in this world. This is not our home. One day we're going to we're going to pack up this tabernacle and we're going to go to a place that the Lord has prepared for us. Or we're going to pack up this tabernacle and go to a place that the Lord has prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. Depending on what you do with Christ depends upon where you spend eternity. But Abraham just obeyed the Lord. He uh, went to Mamre uh, in Hebron. Mamre means fatness. Hebron means fellowship, recognizing the fact that Abraham just had a fellowship with God and because of that was blessed abundantly. Abraham does again that which has become his trademark. He builds an altar to the Lord, worships the Lord because he is just not looking by faith. He is living by faith. A life lived in communion, in fellowship with the Lord is a life that God can bless. He wants us to acknowledge him. He wants us to exalt him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to worship him. That's what his desire is, is that we worship him. He doesn't need us to do that. We know that God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need our company. He doesn't need our loyalty. He doesn't need our affection. He doesn't need us at all. But he wants us. Where do you lock in? Where do you live in? Where do you lead in? When it was time to leave Sodom. That's what God said to Lot. You leave Sodom and you'll be okay. When it time when it was time to leave Sodom, Lot could not lead his family 
the way he should have. Why? Because he led by sight. Remember, looking led to leading, which led to living. He looked to Sodom, led his family towards Sodom, and he lived in Sodom, and as a result, he couldn't lead him out of Sodom. In verse 14 of chapter 19, it says, Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get ye out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. He couldn't convince them to get out of the city. The city was going to be destroyed. Had those years of wrong decisions taken its toll on the family? You know, what's the old adage? It's better the devil, you know. Uh, Had Lot's family grown accustomed to the the, the sin that had surrounded them and thought, well, you were the one that brought us here and now you're saying that we ought to leave? Well, that doesn't make any sense. You can't live in sin and then expect the ones that you are responsible for to give up a sinful lifestyle. There are always feet following in our footsteps. Whether that's our own children, whether that's people within the church that look at our lives, whether that's people within the community who recognize you as somebody to look up to, well, they know you go to church and maybe they have come to admire you a type of lifestyle because it's different to everyone's around them. So be careful because feet will always follow in your footsteps, whether you're aware of it or not. Lot could not lead his family out of Sodom. Even when he finally got his wife to come with him, what does she do? In verse 17, it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And in verse 26, but his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Why did she look back? She obviously didn't believe that God would do what he said he would do. Maybe she thought God was bluffing. Maybe she didn't have the confidence in Lot anymore. Maybe it was just the fact that she'd become so accustomed to the lifestyle back in Sodom that that's where her heart truly was. You know, so many people make the same mistake today. Maybe they think God's bluffing about this place called hell. Maybe they think God's, uh, you know, ah, he wouldn't do that. Surely if there is a God, then I'd be able to get up to heaven and kind of, you know, have a discussion with him that my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. You know, a lot of reasons why people do not want to come to know Christ as their Savior is because their heart is still back in Sodom. Because that's where things are comfortable. Oh, they know the world is wicked, but they've become comfortable with our wickedness. They've almost come come to peace with our wickedness. They've acclimatized to the wickedness because the water has been heated slowly. Lot's wife had been commanded not to look back. But there was something in her that she just wanted what was back in Sodom. Wherever your gaze is fixed this morning, that's where your path will go. Lot looked towards Sodom. He looked by sight. He led his family towards Sodom. 
He lived in Soda. He couldn't get him back out. When you look at Abraham leading his family, Abraham led by faith. God says to Abraham, take thy son, thine only son Isaac. Take him up to a mountain that I'm going to show you and sacrifice him. You look at Lot's son-in-laws mocking him because he said, we've got to get out of the city. God's going to destroy it. You are crazy. What's the matter with you? You're a fool. And then Lot says to Isaac, his only son, right, come on, we're going to sacrifice. Let's go. Lot, uh, uh, Isaac, sorry, says to his father, Dad, I see the fire. I see the wood. There's no sacrifice. Abraham says, God, God will provide. He leaves his servants at the bottom of the mountain and says, me and the boy are going to go and sacrifice and we will come again. He said, me and the boy will come back. So whether he knew that I'm going to sacrifice Isaac and the Lord is going to raise him up from the dead or he knew that the Lord would ultimately provide the sacrifice. That is living by faith. That is looking by faith. That is leading by faith. That's the difference between Abraham and, and, and the, the, the family that he had. Because don't, you know, Isaac is not, um, you know, is not like a, a five-year-old, a ten-year-old. The young lad can mean anything up to 40. Personally, I can't prove this, and perhaps Brother Andrew maybe can work it out better. Personally, as Isaac is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Isaac is sacrificed or going to be sacrificed on the same mountain plain that the Lord Jesus Christ was sacrificed on, personally, I think Isaac was probably 33 years of age. I can't prove that. It might make good preaching. It doesn't mean that it's biblically true. That's my thought. But a young lad can mean anything up to 40. The rich young ruler could have been up to 40 years of age. So Isaac followed dad's lead in. Isaac could have said, whoa, whoa, wait, actually, what's going on there? There's flame and there's wood. I've seen you and God talking. There's no way I'm going up that mountain with you because I know what's coming. He's like, no. You know, he, he had to put himself on that altar. Abraham's an old man by this time. I mean, the walk up the mountain itself probably would have been enough to finish him off, let alone trying to strap um, a, a guy as strong as Isaac was down onto the altar. Abraham led by faith, and as a result, the family followed. And then finally, what is our legacy? Lot's legacy, not something we really like talking about. It's not really something we like preaching about, but this is Lot's legacy. Lot left his son-in-laws back in Sodom. Lot's wife turned to salt as she headed out because she looked back to uh, Sodom. Lot's legacy was the two nations as a result of immorality. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 32, his two daughters said, come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with their father and he perceived not where she lay down and when she arose, 
And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father, let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed. And in verse 37 it says, The firstborn bare a son, and called his name Moab, the same is the Moabites unto this day. And the younger she also bare a son, and called his name Ben-Ami, um, son of my people, uh, the same is the father of the children of Ammon. If you know anything about Bible history, you know that the Moabites and the Ammonites were a constant thorn in the flesh for the Israelites. That is the legacy that Lot leaves behind. You know, we can get excited about the laws that have been changed in this country and the way in which we celebrated sin. I, you know, when, when the Labour, um, Tony Blair, came to power and the one way they were going to do away with um, antisocial behaviour and antisocial drinking was have 24-hour pub opening times. What a legacy! That really fixed everything. You know, one of the biggest problems in the, that the police dealt with was alcohol-related incidents. One of the biggest problems in our um, accident and emergency rooms was alcohol-related problems. How do we fix it? Yes, make alcohol more readily available. What a legacy. One sin will always lead to another sin will always lead to another sin. That's leading by sight. This will work. This is what I think. And that was Lot's legacy. What was Abraham's legacy? Abraham's legacy was slightly different to Lot's. Lot produced Moab and Ammon. Abraham um, produced something quite different because in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 it says the book of the generations of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham slightly different legacy because one looked by sight lived by sight led by sight and the outcome was a legacy that was not pleasing one looked by faith, lived by faith, led by faith, and the legacy is still changing lives today. Thousands and thousands of years later, millions and millions of people have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. What will your legacy be? You might be a parent, and your legacy is going to be wrapped up in your children. How will they follow? Will they follow your good examples or your bad examples? You know, Joe and I joke about this all the time, and we say that our kids have got all of our good points, and they've got all of my bad points. But will they follow your good decisions, your spiritual decisions, your godly decisions? Or will they follow the sinful side of your life? Because that gives them an excuse. Well, dad did it. Mum did it. So what hurt is it in me doing it? As a parent, your legacy is going to be wrapped up in your kids. 
if you were not a parent, then your legacy is wrapped up in everyone you have an influence over, whether that's your work colleagues, whether that's your neighbors, whether that's people you look after, whether that's people you talk to, whether that's people you are in contact with every single day, whether that's the younger element, like we said at Mother's Day, the younger element in the church will always look to the older ones. What do they see? Do they see somebody who walks by faith or somebody that just walks by sight? Where do you look in? Where do you live in? Where do you lead in? And what is your legacy? Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity to come around you a word, Lord. And I just pray that you continue to speak to our hearts, Lord. We recognize that every decision we make will have an impact on somebody. Every, everything we do in our lives as parents or as Christians leaves a ripple effect, has an impact on somebody coming behind us. It will affect somebody around us. And Lord, we want to have a positive impact for you in this world. And maybe there needs to be a separation in our lives. Maybe we need to come away from people that are having a negative influence on us so that you can bless us in the way that you desire to bless us. Father, I'm thankful for, for those here in this church that have had an impact on our lives as a family. And we are blessed to be part of such an incredible church. And Lord, we just want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to be a blessing to one another. So Lord, would you help each and every one of us to look, to live, uh, to lead by faith. And as a result, have the right kind of legacy that doesn't glorify us, but that will only ever glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask these things in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to stand and sing our last hymn together. When the hymn is finished, I wonder, Neil, would you mind closing us in a word of prayer after, the, uh, the, uh, after we sing this last hymn? And Joe and I are going to go and grab the Father's Day gifts and Dad, come and see us on the, on the way out. And have your photo taken. Lots going on.